This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 254. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by co-host and producer, Mr. Matthew Marister. Hey. <laughs> What's up, dude? That's my that's my enthusiastic, like, hey. Well, that was... Come on, give me a good old <laughs> Marine try dude. here, you know? Like, how, how does a Marine get all excited? Probably Man, drop a I bunch can't. of F-bombs and stuff, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't be safe for, for <laughs> Facebook. We'd get banned really quick. <laughs> nice. Hey, folks, uh, welcome to today's episode. This is a, a listener Q&A. We, we're, we're kind of starting to get backlogged on uh, uh, listener emails and stuff. And I know we're not able to get to everybody's. And some people's we just respond to with our response. And, you know, we just let it be. Um, but uh, I had some here I've been kind of saving out or saving up whenever I get an email that I think is uh, something I want to talk about on the podcast, I print it out and it starts adding to the stack and the stack keeps getting bigger. So I was like, crap, we had another topic we were going to talk about today, but I, I thought we better address some of these things. And, and uh, yeah, so that's what you got. And on the docket today, uh, we're going to talk about night sites. Uh, we're going to talk about um, the reason why we carry. And uh, I really liked this email we got from, a listener named Mike, and he, he he referenced this phrase, it's not the odds, it's the stakes. And I, I, I don't know that there's actually a question necessarily in his email so much as I just want to share what he writes because I thought it was really good. Um, we're going to talk about instructors, how to know if they're a good instructor or a not so good instructor, how to vet them a little bit, um, stuff like that. I had a really, really insightful question from a listener about that sort of thing. Um, and also... Um, oh yeah. And about handgun retention. So we, we had an email that I thought brings up an interesting point and he's, he's asking me for a pretty direct response to this question of his. So, so I figured we better do that on air. So there you go. That's a little bit of a preview. We got other stuff as well. And if we, whatever time we have available, we'll, we'll get through it as, as best we can. But today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Probably next week, by the way, we'll have a new podcast sponsor to uh announce and share is my mm. guess if i think i think it'll be next week sometime if not probably the week after that ironing out some details but we have a really exciting partnership slash collaboration uh that uh is we the conference call that, de that delayed me getting the uh, episode going today was related to that so uh really 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 excited i think you folks are going to especially uh, enjoy this sponsor uh, and what they have to offer. And Guardian Nation members, yes, you are going to benefit in a very special way from this arrangement. So today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. And if you want to be ahead of the curve, then you should consider joining today if you're not already a member. Or if you have, you know what, sometimes people join and are members for a time. And for whatever reason, they stop, you know, they stop payment and they stop being members. Well, you might consider rejoining because benefits are getting better all the time. We, re we recently announced our partnership with the United States Concealed Carry Association and how you can get a 15% discount on USCCA membership just by being a member of Guardian Nation. And what we will announce here very soon will be another similar 
type deal, okay? Just with a different different company, different you know segment in the industry, uh, but it'll be another discount for Guardian Nation members. And so I'm, I'm teasing it big time because I can't say anything yet. It's going to be great. So Guardian Nation, check it out today, guardiannation.com. And members, don't forget to log in from time to time and take a look at your dashboard. Look at the training videos that we post. You know, basically about every week now, we're trying to get a new video up in the members area. Um, plus, take advantage of all the other great benefits that are available. So there you have it. So, and howdy to the whole Facebook crowd here. Appreciate you guys checking in. Got quite a few of you. and appreciate the comments and questions. And feel free, by the way, uh, to ask questions through Facebook today. If we have time, uh, if it's not you know derailing us too much, then we'll, we'll try to address those questions as well. But priority is those that took the time to open up uh, an email message and send us an email at podcast at concealedcarry.com. So here we go. Without further ado, I'll fade out the music there. And uh, Matthew, yeah. let's, let's, let's talk about this first email that I have here. Well, I'm glad you did the kind of like the intro with what we we're going to talk about because you withheld all the information from me until right now. <laughs> I didn't even know what the topics were going to be. Matthew is so, shooting from the hip. Yeah. So let's <laughs> he, do he it. Is, he is in the dark on on some of this. So, so uh, I'm always in the dark, man. <laughs> uh, I'm not the world's greatest communicator. It is true. <laughs> um, it's kind of like it's kind of how I like to operate sometimes too. Like. I, I, I kind of just go with the flow, you know, like I don't require a lot of heads up or notice or preparation. It's just, you know, just do it. Yeah. You know, like tell me when, where I'll show up and I'll do my thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Tris. What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Sorry, bud. Wrong podcast. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Very random and funny question. I'll phone a friend. <laughs> All right, so here's a here's an email. This actually doesn't have so much a question, but I just I had to share this. Okay, so if you'll recall, a while back, a couple episodes ago, I was making fun of uh, Jacob for uh, wearing hearing protection while he vacuums in his home. Uh, now Jacob has a unique set of circumstances. Okay, we can't blame the poor guy. All right, he doesn't hear so well out of one ear, and so the other ear is very sensitive, and he values it highly and wants to keep that other ear in tip-top shape. So he mentioned on air, and I kind of teased him that he wears hearing protection while he vacuums. You know what? I have no problem with that whatsoever. And uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. Sorry, <clears throat> Charlie is just commenting. Who won a PSA rifle kit during the last Guardian Nation live broadcast? Broadcast. Hmm. Yeah. Guess who? Charlie. Lucky dog. You. All right. So that's awesome. Um. So we had a listener write in, <laughs> and this is pretty great. He says, "Riley, Jacob, and Matthew." Love your show. I've been listening for about six months now and been trying to catch up with your older episodes. Thank you for this latest Concealed Carry Basics 2. It prompted me to go back to Concealed Carry Basics 1 and listen to that and, to, and listen to that one first. Up until this year, I did not even own a gun, and now I carry every day wherever I can by law in Georgia. I do not vacuum or mow the lawn with ear protection, but I am thinking of adopting it. I, th I think that's great. By the way, I do think you should wear hearing protection when you're mowing the lawn, okay? Because it's quite a difference there in decibel 
uh, decibels between a lawnmower and a vacuum in most cases, unless it's like an electronic or electric mower or a very loud vacuum. Uh, first time at the range and first time ever shooting a handgun, I got slide by. It just goes to show how important education is. I wish I had listened to your podcast before even getting my first handgun. It could have guided me to not make some careless mistakes. Keep up the good work and happy Labor Day. And this is an email from Brian. We we really appreciate you, Brian. And by the way, Brian sends a a, a, a photo of him vacuuming with hearing protection. <laughs> I'm trying to be sensitive to identification here. Okay, so that's why those that are viewing, uh, you just got a little bit of a tease there. I thought that was really great. What a great email. Thank you, Brian. And thank you for uh, listening uh, to the podcast. Uh, I thought it was really good stuff there, man. All right. So here, here's the first like, uh, question, question, I guess. Okay. So it's just further discussion. Okay. So last episode or not, well, two episodes ago now. So last week on Thursday, Jacob and, and Matthew and I did this, uh, um, old, you were there, right? But you had the duck out. Was that what it was? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. I just didn't make an impact on you, so you didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said it initially, and then I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I, I, I can't, you know, we've done so many of these together. It's always hard. They just sort of runs, you know, together. Um, but we did the Ultimate Concealed Carry Beginner's Guide, part two. And one of those things was talking about night sights. And I made the comment that there's basically, like, I think I think night sights are overrated um, as far as the the use case for them is far more limited than what people think. Um, especially since you have to identify your target and usually you got to do that with a light. And usually once you do that anyway, especially with everybody's flashlights now, Matthew, they're like a thousand lumens, right? So it's Mm -hmm. so bright that you're going to wash out any light that you'd pick up from a night sight. And so what you're going to see most likely anyway, is going to just be silhouettes of sights on your target. All right. And that's okay. And that's been my experience in low light shooting. It's probably been your experience, uh, I would guess as well. Um, and so I kind of was like, you know what, they're overrated, but there's definitely like no downside to having night sights. So virtually all my guns have night sights. Now we had a listener, John, he writes in and says, in the podcast, you said there's no negative to night sights. I've taken a few low light and complete darkness night classes. You don't shoot until you can identify your target, but the bad guy doesn't follow that rule. If you have your gun out, open carrying or exposed in any way, tritium sights glow and identify you as a target. When we played the bad guy role in our training classes, we could see and target the good guy with night sights nearly every time. Again, you will need to ID your target so night sights are pointless. However, a tritium front sight only did not ID the good guy as a target while the pistol stayed holstered. Rear sights made them easily identifiable. That's what we have learned in our low light and total darkness flashlight classes. Keep up the good work, John. So what's your uh, response to that, Matthew? Yeah. And so a couple of things, like I, I totally see where he's coming from because, um, some, some of those rear sites, I mean, they do emit the tritium does emit quite a bit of light. Right. Um, here, here's my, here's my thing. And it kind of goes back to, and I'm, I'm not saying that he's wrong at all because, um, I, I agree that if you're waving around any sort of light in perfect darkness, you're going to be the one that's identified. Right. Um, but it goes back to like, kind of what your point was, is that rarely are we ever in a situation where we are in complete darkness where, you know, there's not some sort of ambient light. And if you are, yeah, the bad guy is not going to be following, 
you know, protocol of, I, I have to identify my target. I understand that. Um, but in that same, in that same instance, um, you're probably not going to be having your gun out, like waving around, trying to find your sights if you're in complete darkness. Right. So, um, yeah, no, I, I get it. And I, I think it's valid. It's a total valid point. Um, but in practical application, I, I don't think that a bad guy is going to be looking for, you know, that, that little tritium glow going off of your face to ID you. It, it could it happen. Absolutely. You know, but, um, just like the, the need for shooting with night sights is probably very remote. Um, probably the, the same, you know, likelihood of that bad guy trying to only being able to ID you because you have night sights on your gun. It's probably very remote, but you know, it's a total valid, valid point, I think. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, I, I agree. Um, here, here would be my counter is that like, I, I, I totally get that when you take, when you actually take low light courses like this, you learn things that there's just no way that you're going to learn those lessons any other way. I mean, other than to be there and to experience it, uh, you can try to think of all the theory imaginable behind things. And well, I think that if, you know, if I'm in a low light situation that my tritium night sights will be highly visible and it might, you know, make it so the bad guy knows that I'm a good guy and, you know, he's going to shoot me or whatever. Like, okay, that might be, but, but anyway, the point is, is that like going through those types of courses, it's just, you got to experience these sort of things firsthand. Now, I get what he's saying because I've seen night sights that are quite bright in low light and you can, you can definitely pick up on that, you know, in a low light situation, uh, perhaps even force on force. Okay. And that's what I think he's talking about here is they were running some maybe force on force scenarios, right? Um, a couple of things though that I would, that I would add. First of all, this is the concealed carry podcast and we are huge advocates of carrying concealed. You want to carry openly, knock yourself out, do it all day long. Um, that's, that's, that's your choice, but I don't personally open carry, uh, as a general rule. Okay. Out in public. And so a lot of this doesn't really apply to a concealed carrier as far as like, if you've got rear night sights on your gun, are you going to be giving away your position and giving away the fact that you're a good guy and that the bad guy doesn't play by the rules. And so he's going to be able to pick up on these night sights and, and note and note what that is and, and then shoot you because of it. Probably not going to be an issue, right? Cause we should be concealed and stay concealed um, until the time comes that we need to draw. And if the guns are already out and they happen to see somehow that night sights are present, um, the crap's already hit the fan because you've drawn the gun. So I'm not, overly concerned about, you know, this, I, so is there, I, I will retract my statement, John, by 5%. Okay. That's a very <laughs> specific number. I said last week, there is no negative or downside to having night sights on a gun. I will say, okay, there is this one slight, very specific situation where they, they might be a downside. And that's if even under stress and pressure that a bad guy's even, even able to notice and focus on that minute detail when he's maybe thinking or worried about other things as well, just like you are. I don't know. So, but, but like you said, when you're in a training environment, you're keyed in on stuff like that. And so everybody, you know, everybody's looking for night sights. Everybody's keyed in on what's going on. So you're more apt to pick up, you know, somebody's night sights. Whereas in a general 
application in a low light situation, you're probably not going to key in on that glow. Yeah. A, a bad guy probably would not. Yeah, like I can see the one situation, and this is a very specific and somewhat unlikely situation where this could be a, a big issue for a person, and that is that it's probably more applicable to law enforcement, right? You know, where they're maybe searching a, a room or a building or something because they're looking for a bad guy. They're doing uh, some sort of check on a, on a vacant building or something, and as they're going down some low-lit hallway or dark hallway, a bad guy comes up from behind them and is able to see from behind, kind of over their shoulder, you know, the, they'll they'll see the night sights probably, right? You know, but it, but like I say, it, it's a pretty limited uh, situation, I think, where it becomes an issue, but it's good. I appreciate John for uh, sending that in and pointing out that I'm, I was only 95% correct in my, in my statement. <laughs> okay. So Clint write, writes in, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm Due to the length of the email, uh, I'll, I'll jump over some of this. Uh, it's a great email, though. Mostly it's just giving us a lot of love and, you know, props, you know, mad props. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> um, he says here um, that you don't have to completely avoid Illinois in your personal slash business travels when carrying. Concealed carry permit holders from other states are permitted to carry concealed in their vehicles while in Illinois. We have some very interesting aspects to the laws when it comes to vehicles. And that's really the the, the, the focus of, of his email that I wanted to share because I think I've described in the podcast about avoiding the state of Illinois when you're driving or traveling. Um, and I've even, maybe I talked about it in the podcast. I don't recall, but I know that on our trip back from Kentucky, um, I, I literally stopped in Indiana and I know some, some listeners out there are going to be freaking out like, oh man, like... Like, what are you so worried about, man? Like, you're paranoid. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit paranoid because I, I can see how things go south really quickly when dealing with law enforcement, especially uninformed law enforcement. And I still think that's an issue here. So let me, let me, let me describe what's going on. Now, since that trip from Kentucky, where I stopped in Indiana, literally, you know, according to Firearm, Firearm, Owner Protect, Firearm Owners Protection Act, and the subset of that is the inter- Interstate Transportation of Firearms, Okay, it's a uh, Title eighteen, Section nine twenty six A. If anybody you know is curious, right, to go look that up in the in the U.S. Code. Okay, um, it describes there that when transporting a firearm through a state where basically for some reason you can't carry or have in your possession directly that firearm, then you need to prior to entering that state and provided that you are not, that state is not your destination, that you are merely passing through. And there's a couple other conditions, right? Basically you need to stop, unload the firearm, lock it away, put it, you know, in a hard sided locked case, uh, other than a glove, glove box or center console. Um, you know, it needs to be in, in a secured, confined container of some sort that's away from you. It's basically what it says, right? All right. So I have since learned since that trip um, actually, just not too long ago, okay, Clint, you you almost beat them to the punch, but uh, it was brought to my attention that Illinois concealed carry law, um, as of a couple of years ago, was you know when when they started issuing permits, then the law was also amended to uh, be that if you are a non-resident, okay, which means that you wouldn't have a FOID card, and a FOID card in in Illinois is a firearm owner's identification card. And you have to have that in possession while you are in possession of a gun or ammunition in the state of Illinois. And there's some other specific rules relating to residents as far as 
carrying a gun in a, in a, in a vehicle in Illinois. But for non-residents, what they added or changed was that, yes, it's true. Uh, I researched this. It says that provided you're within the vehicle, okay, you can, if you have a permit from a, another state, even if that state doesn't have reciprocity with Illinois, and virtually no states have reciprocity with Illinois, <laughs> it's very, very few, um, you can carry concealed inside your vehicle if you have a permit. All right. Now, the warning is there have still been people since that law has been passed that have been arrested, non-residents that have been arrested because they were carrying concealed in their vehicle. And the danger there is, I might be wrong in this. You know, I'm going to pull up my concealed carry gun tools app just to confirm, but I think Illinois might be a duty to notify state. I'm going to confirm that, okay, before before y'all quote me on it and tell me how wrong I am. Um, if that's the case, then you find yourself in a situation where, here we go, I've got it, I'm pulling it up in my app. Let's see. Nope, it says it's only when asked by an, an officer. Okay, all right, so it's not a duty to notify state. Um, but chances are a lot of CCWers would take it upon themselves to notify that officer when they get stopped. And that officer is not informed as far as what the law currently is in Illinois. Boom, you're getting arrested. You, you might end up walking out of jail a couple hours later once they get that all sorted out and figure out how wrong they were. But you're still getting arrested, and that ain't fun, no matter who you are. So that's the warning. Um, I think I will still play it safe traveling through Illinois, personally speaking. All right. I might not go through the trouble of when we were driving through, I literally stopped, I was pulling a trailer, unloaded, put it in a locked uh, safe, is a little safe container uh, vault, handgun vault, and put it in the trailer. Just because I'm like, I don't want to mess with, with Illinois. I just don't. Okay. All right. So I, I'm done yapping on about that. What are your <laughs> thoughts, Matthew? No, it, it, it's a total valid. I mean, people, people, um, get paranoid over certain things and it, it rightfully so. But, and, and the thing is, is your, your comment about, you know, um, law enforcement is sometimes, uh, not having the, um, maybe it's a new cop. Maybe it's just not disseminating the information because the attorney generals will come out and they'll send directives to, um, local law enforcement, you know, law enforcement in the state. And they'll say, this is how we're going to, um, handle this, or this is a new law. And sometimes that training doesn't get to every police department, right? And even if it gets down to the police department, it doesn't, if your training system or environment in that, in that department isn't set up so that you're staying on top of the latest case on things, there's cops that go out there and they're enforcing old stale law that's no longer law. And the problem is, is yeah, you know, you're technically right. But as you said, if you get arrested and they impound your car and they take your firearm and all your property and you've been booked and you miss your flight or you miss this or that, um, they're not paying you back for impound fees and all that stuff. Or, you know, um, they're not going to pay you back for missing your flight or whatever. Um, if you have your kids there with you you're st and you still get arrested, I mean, it's, it's a hassle. So sometimes it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't drive through there because every cop doesn't, you know, in Illinois doesn't know the law, but I'm just saying you do run the, run the risk and not just in Illinois, but any state, because, you know, cops are humans and there's a lot of laws and not everybody stays up to date. And so, you know, it, you, you kind of take your, your, uh, some, yep. some of that into your own hands because it, gun laws 
get kind of technical or get people, you know, even cops get a little riled up sometimes when it has to do with a gun and they might, they might just not be um, totally in the loop. So I would say, especially if you're in a situation like that, always try to call for a supervisor, ask them to call a supervisor. Hopefully that supervisor has, you know, the, the latest uh, case law or the latest changes to the law, ask for a supervisor. Um, it, it doesn't hurt. And maybe that'll keep you from, you know, going to jail and going through all that rigmarole before they actually say, wait, you arrested him for this. No, you can't do that. Cut them loose, you know? So. <laughs> yep. Cool. Good thoughts. Um, we got Dan listening who apparently is a, uh, instructor in Illinois. And, uh, so yeah, he's confirming basically everything that we're, we're covering here on this topic. So appreciate you for being here, Dan. And also, Dan, I saw you in your reference to Monty Python for me failing to catch the reference to Monty Python. What is the airspeed of an unladen swallow? About 24 miles per hour. I knew, I, I knew it sounded familiar. I'm sorry. Yeah, I haven't watched Monty Python in I don't know how many years, but I think it is freaking hilarious, and I'm sorry I missed the reference. A little distracted here, trying to run a show. I'm not. I'm not as <laughs> awesome as those guys over at the other podcast you mentioned. I can't give them. I can't give them love. Don't go listen to them. They're not funny. Okay. All right. Boy, so <laughs> where's all this coming from, man? <laughs> okay. So um, we got a question here from. Uh, actually, not so much. Once again, this is just a lot of commentary, but this it brings up some good points. This is from Mike. Mike says um, he was listening to the latest episode, and this this is from a while back. So this I don't know which episode he was listening to specifically, but it was probably one of the news episodes because he references it here. Um, he said, I, when I heard the tragic story of the birthday party gone horribly wrong, this is one that was in, uh, I think, the Boise, Idaho area, and basically had a random dude that, uh, because he was upset about getting kicked out of his apartment or something, he showed up at a birthday party with a bunch of mm-hmm. kids and stuff and, and stabbed a bunch of people. Uh, it was pretty pretty crazy, right? Um, and he said, in your subsequent in your subsequent discussion on why you carry all the time everywhere, I was reminded of a saying. I wish I could give credit for because it's not original to me, but it perfectly summarized why we carry always everywhere. It's not the odds; it's the stakes. I imagine your life is a bit like mine. We live in relatively safe neighborhoods. We don't do stupid things with stupid people at stupid times and stupid places. The odd, well, unless unless it's me and Matthew getting together, <laughs> <laughs> the odds uh, will ever. Let's see. Yeah, the odds will ever need our guns is very very small. However, if we do, the stakes are enormous. We have families to get back to. We may have others to protect. I don't know of anyone who survived a violent attack by using a gun who afterwards said, "Man, I wish I didn't have that gun with me." On the other hand, if we know of many people who were in a violent encounter and wished desperately they had a gun with them. My gun comes out of the holster, bolted to the side of my bed when I get up, and goes into the holster my hip where it stays until I get back in the bed. When I travel for work, as long as I'm going to a place my permit is honored, confirmed by the concealed carry app, good choice, the gun goes with me. It might be a bit of a hassle going through TSA, but it's worth it. Anyway, keep, keep up the great work and take away something from each episode. Thank you very much, Mike, for those kind words and for this perspective. Uh, I completely, wholeheartedly agree, and that's why I do, and that's why I live my my life the way I do. Um, is it, you know, I, I talk many times about how when I get up in the morning, I dress, I put the gun on. Uh, it stays until, unless I have to go somewhere where I can't take it, 
but basically most of my days it stays there until I go home or I, you know, I'm getting in bed basically. Right. Um, that comes with discomfort. It comes with inconvenience, comes with some level of difficulty. Uh, why do I do it? Because of that reason right there, bro. It's not the odds. It's the stakes. Yeah. And you know, what was cool, what I appreciate was that, um, he it's, it's insightful and articulate way of explaining it. And, and not only for the listeners here, cause I know most of the podcast listeners and you know, they listen in and they get it because we're always harping on this, but you know, by and or not all the time, but quite often I see like, why would I talk to non gun owners or why do I want to talk to leftists that want to take my guns? I just tell them, you know, that, that this is my right. I don't need to answer their questions. And it's like, if you address their questions like, Hey, why do you need a gun? Or why do you carry instead of saying, cause it's my right. You know um, if you address it in an articulate insightful way like this, you're going to gain a lot more people that, that understand where you're coming from. Number one. And even if you don't, even if they don't change their mind um, it's just the right thing to do to be, you know, be civilized and, and speak uh, intelligently about stuff. Right. So that's, that's one of the things that I, I really like the fact that he took the time to like explain it in a way that, you know, anybody can, can, can really say, you know what, I, I can understand. I might be against guns. I, I might not want to carry one. I might think, you know, they're dangerous, but I get it. Like, you know, you, you you're going to the store and it might not be a, a real dangerous area, but if it does happen, you know, I can understand you want to be prepared. So it comes across a lot more, um, reasonable than, you know, uh, why do I carry a gun? Cause Mullen lobby, you know? And it's like, dude, I, I get it, but <laughs> let's have some dialogue, you know? Yep. Cool. Good stuff, man. Um, once again, I really appreciate you, Mike, for, uh, for that perspective. So, uh, it's kind of, it reminds me of, uh, you know, Rob Pink has been on the podcast a couple of times and everyone's probably familiar with him by this point. Um, he has kind of his own little brand thing going. He, he's got some apparel that's, uh, some t-shirts that say on there, protect what you love. Uh, I really like that. I subscribe to that kind of attitude. Um, that's, that's why, why I do what I do. Um, it's less about protecting me other than if I die or I get seriously wounded, uh, disabled or whatever, because of some kind of attack, then I'm no longer able to be there for my family in the way that I'd like to be and, and in the way I need to be. And so regardless of like, it's not so much about me. Like I, I would die. I would give my life to, to save my family, to save my kids at the same time. Like I do need to be there. I need to be there for that. You know, it's not just about saving lives. It's also about, protecting what I love and what I love is being a dad and being a husband and, and being able to be there for my family and provide for them. That's, that's, that's key. All right, here we got a, um, this one's going to get a little bit, you know, probably deeper on us as far as, um, we could, we could probably spend a whole episode talking about a couple of things here from uh, Cameron's email and, but Cameron writes here, Uh, He actually has three things. So we'll see how much of this we can cover in the available time. Um, Concealed carry specifically at professional jobs. He's talking about cubicles, tucked shirts, sitting at computers, how to carry concealed without printing, off-body carry. He says, I don't want to do that, but it's an option. Tuckable holster, but still showing clips. Any way to fix that? 
Okay, so there's some really good things there. So let's just touch on that. I think I do think we could probably do more of an episode or talk about this and give it more justice another time. But let's touch on it briefly today because I think this is uh, I think this is valid. In fact, this could be almost a topic in a future concealed carry uh, a beginner's guide episode. Yeah, right? absolutely. So um, I, I have the unique. I, I say unique, it's probably not that unique, but I, I've worked in a lot of different environments in my career. Uh, I have worked in a in a very informal construction capacity. I, I was a carpenter for a number of years. It was something I enjoyed from a young age. And I, so I, I mean, I, I, I can get dirty. I, you know, work hard and get sweaty and all that stuff. Where I've worn tool belts uh, more days than I care to count, you know, even when those were uncomfortable and unwieldy. Um, at the same time, I've also worked in professional environments. I, I worked in an environment that I had to be professionally dressed every day. You know, uh, it was not my, it was not really my favorite part of that job. Actually, there was few things about that job that were awesome, but, uh, it, at first it was exciting, but I realized soon I was not cut out for that kind of environment. <laughs> you don't say <laughs> Now that environment, I was not able to carry at work. Uh, just to lay it out there, it was in a federal facility. I worked. For, I was a. I was a government employee for a couple of years, and uh, so yeah, I wasn't going to take the chance of. Well, they won't know, you know. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't carry when I went to work there. Uh, it, it. And I couldn't have a gun in my car either, because. It, I drove through a fenced area into a secure facility. Uh, vehicles were randomly inspected. Yeah, I wasn't going to take the chance, right? So, in fact, I have a really funny story about my first day going to work, uh, Matthew. Uh, I don't know if I've shared it with you before, but maybe some other time on the podcast, I might even drop drop some of the details of that. It was pretty, pretty funny. But um, so... Uh, I worked in that professional environment, so I didn't carry actually in, the, in that professional environment. But I, 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 I get the gist of like what that's about, and I know what I would have to do to be able to carry it in that environment. And so here's here's what I have to say. Um, depending on how much physical, like physical presence, like you, how much you have to interact physically with people in that environment would probably dictate how I dress. Okay. Um, I probably would not use a holster with clips that are exposed, even if the holster was tuckable and, and the gun was totally concealed and everything. Cause when you're working with people every day, day in and day out, um, you, you, you start to get to know people really well and you notice things, right? So, eventually someone's going to be like, what are those clips that don't appear to be clipped to anything about? <laughs> right. That's a problem. Um, so I, I would, I think a really great easy solution for that would be ulti clip where you clip to the pant and it's behind the belt. That would be, you still run a little bit of a risk of that being, noticed and exposed, but it's a lot less likely than a clip. Now I know that there's some holsters that have like a J clip or a C clip. I've tried all those and I still don't like those. I think those are even almost more noticeable to be frank. Cause like you see this little tiny little hook on the belt and it's even, it, it draws even more curiosity. It's like, what is that little thing on that dude's belt? You know? So either the ultra clip or I would uh, pocket carry. Or maybe yeah, possi- or possibly ankle. 
possibly yeah. both because pocket carry or ankle carry, neither one of those I can carry probably as big or as nice of a gun as I'd like to carry. I might almost have both. So I've got two options, right? So that's probably the solution, how it would be for me, to be honest with you. Uh, Matthew, what's your, your thoughts on the matter? Yeah, I agree. Um, ankle and pocket carry probably probably two of the best options if you have to go that route. Um, I like the ulti clips because of exactly what you said. Um, what I would also throw in is there are some um, holsters that are more for deep concealment. So mm -hmm. like you could take something like um, like a belly band type holster. Um, and, and I know I'm not a huge fan of um, the urban carry, but like holsters like that, that are deep concealment holsters that go below the pant line, the waistline, um, and don't require any clips to the actual belt might be an option depending on what you're carrying and your comfort. You know, if you're sitting down sometimes, um, unless you get it right, those things can be somewhat uncomfortable. Um, I would stay away from anything like, um, I know a lot of people think, well, if I'm in an office and I'm wearing a suit and stuff, I'll just wear, wear a, a shoulder holster or something like that. I would, I would highly recommend against those. Um, that means you, you have to keep your jacket on all the time. It's, it's, sure. it, it's not, it's not ideal for draw. It's not ideal. It's not like really secure. I mean, even with the best shoulder holsters, they're just not like, they look cool and everything, but they're just practicality speaking. They're just not a great option. Um, so I would stick with something uh, like, like you were saying, pocket carry ankle carry is remarkably comfortable. Um, and if you get a small enough gun and, and, uh, and a holster that secures it to your, to your ankle the right way, you can conceal. I mean, you could probably conceal a J frame revolver almost, uh, depending on what kind of clothes you're wearing, obviously, oh, but, yeah. you know, pretty easily. So unless you're wearing yeah. like super, super tight, you know, pants or something but and, yeah and for guys you can probably for guys you can probably get away with like a glock 26 on an ankle that's probably the, the biggest you can go mm -hmm. um more likely it would be uh like a 43 like or lcp 43 yeah that could work too mm. um i could probably ankle carry the uh p365 mm -hmm. um pocket though it probably you know and i do from time to time carry pocket it's not my preferred it's uh, I, I it's not something i even talk about that much because I, I definitely don't prefer to carry an LCP in my pocket, you know, and have that be my primary weapon, but there's situations where that's what you got to do. Um, so anyway, that there's a lot of ways you could go about doing this and you could debate it all day long. Um, people would be like, well, that's dumb. Like you're recommending a little micro, you know, a mouse gun, or you're recommending carrying on ankle and well, that's so unwieldy to get to. Well, it's true. Like none of these options are ideal for concealed carry. Um, but that that's, that's the nature of, of carrying concealed. Like there's time, there's certain times and certain places where we have to give some sort of concession where we have to do things maybe in a way that's less than ideal. I've, I, you know, sometimes, like I said, because of how I, how I'm dressed or the, the place I'm going to be, I will throw a little LCP. I prefer the LCP two, by the way, over the original LCP. I think it's a little bit more reliable than the original LCP and it's got a lot better trigger and better sights and it has a uh, slide stop. And I mean, there's just, 
many, many improvements of the LCP-2 over the original LCP. Uh, it's much more shootable gun than the original LCP. Uh, so that's that's what I use. There's just times where I'll throw that in a pocket. And that's, I mean, it's not ideal. I'm not going to be fighting any wars with that gun. I'm not going to be getting any prolonged gun battles with it. But can I hit what I aim at at five yards or less pretty pretty well? Yeah, I can with that gun. And I, I, I've practiced, okay? It takes practice, but you can do it with that gun. The LCP-2. The LCP, whew, the trigger is so difficult on that thing. Like, you're lucky if you hit what you're aiming at. But the LCP-2 is much improved. Um, yeah, and, and you know what? Um, I, I would agree with you uh, in, and also expand on that is, like, if you carry a different gun, right? Like, if your LCP isn't your primary carry and you only carry that at work because of, you know, X, Y, and Z circumstance, or you're only carrying it today because you have to wear this type of clothing and you can't conceal something else, you have to under, you have to remember, you know, like what are the limitations of my firearm that I'm carrying today? You know, am I carrying a, a J frame revolver where I, you know, I, sometimes I do carry a J frame revolver. I throw in my pants pocket. I have five rounds. I know that I'm not carrying, you know, a 365 with an extra magazine. So I don't have, um, 25 rounds. So you have to know your limitations and, you know, I'm not saying that should change how you, you know, how, where you go or what you do, because, you know, you still have to be, have your situational awareness about you, but you do have to understand like, okay, if I have a five shot revolver and this is the scenario, I have two guys walk into this building, maybe, you know, I definitely have to start thinking priority is to get out because I am totally outgunned. Like this is not the fight that I even can, can get into. So I think, um, that's a, that's a good point is to, to, to also note is like, know your gear that you're carrying that day. Yep. Yep. Uh, I see your comment, Tris, uh, about, uh, J hooks and we kind of addressed that. And he talks about how he chaperoned a formal dance. I, I assume he means with a Glock 22 and an extra mag completely concealed. I totally believe you in that. And, and I think that situation is a little bit different than what we're talking about here because, you're doing kind of this one-time event and there's a lot of different people there and there's a lot of, a lot going on. There's perhaps even commotion to some degree. Um, having a slightly exposed clip or J hook or something <clears throat> is probably a lot, a lot less of an issue in that environment than a professional working environment where, like I said, you spend every day with these people in the office. Eventually someone, there's just, there, how, how think about it. How are you going to answer that question the day somebody notices that? And points at it and says, "What's what's that? What's that little clip thing on your belt? How do you explain mm-hmm. that? Like, <laughs> you better you better come up with a really good story. If it's not a gun friendly work environment, and or that person might not be gun friendly themselves, <laughs> right? You might be getting called in the supervisor's office pretty soon. Okay, so good good discussion there. Uh, Dan comments you could use sticky holsters, and I'm not super I'm not a super fan of uh, the sticky holsters because because it's literally just a pouch that's sticky on the outside and kind of not so sticky on the inside. And you just, you're just dependent on sticking that in the waistband and expecting it to stay. And I, I do think they generally stay, but at the same time here, I got to come back on that statement because what did I say? I'm also not ideally a fan of a pocket holster or even an ankle holster for other reasons. Um, for me, the sticky holster is more of a retention thing, but still like, once again, could it be an option? Yeah, it could be an option. Because once again, 
the environment we're talking about here is a less than ideal environment for concealed carry. Um, for for more for less professional work, we had somebody comment. Where was that? Was that on the podcast last week too? Someone was talking about that. That may have been a comment last week. Someone was asking about how to carry, like they work, um, you construction, know, construction, that, and yeah, okay. Oh, I know that was in the. I think it might have been in the Guardian Nation live broadcast. Mm-hmm. That might have been where that came up. Yeah. Okay, so here's an here's an idea, and it's not ideal, but here's an idea for you if you work in the trades and you have a work belt or something like that, and that can be a little bit of a challenge. It's not super convenient or comfortable to be carrying concealed inside waistband and have a work belt on top of that. Ugh, I, I've done it. It's it's not fun, um, but it can be done. But here's an option. There are some companies that make pouches, uh, and I'm not a fan of these in general, but I can see this totally working if you have like a work belt that you wear. There are pouches like a nylon pouch that's designed for concealed carry. And you could buy one of those pouches. You can almost use any pouch, but I prefer one that's kind of designed, you know, to hold the gun. Like, you know, maybe it has a little built-in holster or has Velcro inside where you can attach a Velcro uh, holster to or whatever. But basically just get a little pouch that you could put on your work. You know, you, you might already be limited on space, but if you have a spot, you can put that little pouch somewhere on your work belt. Then you could, carry concealed in a pouch. It's kind of in the open, but not in the open. It's still concealed. Nobody's going to really probably know about it. Um, you know, it's not going to be super quick to access, but at least it's an option and a, a comfortable way to carry in that kind of environment. So just, just a thought there as well. Um, Scott has a really interesting comment here to this. He said, uh, Tris says, do you think people look at your belt that much? Um, I think in a professional environment, it's different. Once again, I'm going to reiterate that again and again and again because I've worked in that environment where you start to notice all these little 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 details about the people you work with, right? Um, but Scott replies with, I had a bottom third of an endurance clip under belt show was noticed in about a week by a non-gun slash knife lady. Yeah, so it, <laughs> David says like a sneaky Pete, probably in reference to my work belt. No, not a sneaky Pete. I don't like those, okay? I'm just talking about a nylon zipped pouch, okay, with a holster inside, all right? Not ideal. I get it, but anyway. But I don't like the sneaky Pete's. Those are dumb. <laughs> all right. But yes, Scott's point is 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 right on, you know? I mean, like people will people can notice that stuff and it's it's one thing when you're walking by them in a mall and you don't have they're not going to right. ask you what that is but it's another thing when they're just you know routinely maybe they just routinely you know they're just want they're just curious you know they're not trying right. to you know uncover your secret but they're just curious like hey what's that um and you know i guess you could tell them yeah it's an insulin pump or something like that i don't know you can make <laughs> up something interesting um but you, you might yeah. Um, you know, you know where it would happen, where somebody would take notice is that professional working environment where you see these, these people every day and you're sitting in one of those long, dreadful work meetings or business meetings <laughs> where somebody is bored and they're kind of like, uh, mandatory training, you know, and, and they're just kind of like staring off somewhere, you know, and, and that's when they notice. Okay. Yeah. Because they're bored. And they, they just notice you, know, you have like one one navy blue sock and one black sock, and they're like, <laughs> "Wow." <laughs> anyway, all right. So um, we got to move along here. Instructors, how to know if they're legit? And this is still Cameron, by the way. Uh, and I'm going to have to save his third thing for probably another time, another episode, because I got one other thing I, I promised I would cover. 
How, how to know instructors are legit, puts that in quotes, and worth the money. That's probably a bigger, bigger question there. Um, are there some good certifications to look for? I'm going to throw it at you first, Matthew. Yeah, I'll, I'll be brief um, because I know we're, we're short on time, but like, it's an awesome question. And, and I think sometimes people just throw out like, Hey, well, um, I'm an NRA instructor and I have these, you know, certifications and people are like, well, is that really, I mean, what, what do you have to go through to get an NRA certification? And it's truthfully, it's it's not that much. It's it's a low Um, standard. Yeah. Okay. So I have seen instructors go through NRA instructor courses that like literally started shooting, like picked up a gun, like a few weeks before and passed. and so, yes, so that's, those are the kind of people you don't want to get trained from, but how do you know, you know, and I would say, look at references is a big thing. Look at people that they've trained. If they've, if they've been training people for a while, um, they should have references. They should have, um, testimonials on, you know, people saying, Hey, this dude knows what he's talking about. Um, look for, look for that. Look for training, like outside of just your typical NRA classes, see how much extra training they go through because like anything else, philosophies and and techniques develop over time and they change. And, And anybody who's dogmatic in their principles is probably never taken a class after those they've established what I believe in for marksmanship, right? I establish that. And then I never take any training because I don't want to challenge anything that I already know. So they don't grow. And so, you know, instructors are taking routinely taking uh, outside classes from other instructors um, are, is, a, is a good sign, um, you know, because they're staying up to date with information and they're going to be able to pass that on. I think more importantly than a certification is how many people have you actually been training? I mean, yeah, you need to be certified, but if you're certified and you've never held a class, you could be a great shooter. You could have a great certification because you attended a class. But if you've never gotten down and seen real people on the line and been able to identify problems and help them fix those problems or identify like, hey, this person's got an issue that's a little bit different than that person. You know, they're both jerking the trigger, but how can we get this person and that person to the same point? Um, Maybe one person's because of recoil anticipation, the other person's because they have too big of a gun or something like that, right? So until you've gotten out on the line and you've taught a lot of people, you, you can't really, you can't really teach a lot of people, right? You can't teach well because you don't know how to teach. Um, so it's kind of that catch 22, but, um, I would say look for instructors that have been teaching that have been teaching for a while. And a lot of student, uh, volume of students that, that have, um, come, come away with a, with a favorable impression of the the classes. Yeah. Those are good points, Matthew, because I mean, to, to your, to your point of the volume of that, teacher uh, that instructor as far as how many classes or students they teach that that certainly does make a difference because um, there are plenty of NRA instructors that maybe teach one or two courses over the course of you know I, I guess over the rest of their their life or time that they are a certified instructor um, that I think I saw a statistic once of how many NRA instructors are actually active and it's very low and by the way, 
per their standards of what is an active NRA instructor or not, I am not an active instructor because I don't do a lot of official NRA certified courses or NRA Mm -hmm. approved courses. I don't do a lot of NRA basic pistol courses. I'm not really interested in that, okay? I got the the certification because that's just sort of the industry standard, and I think you, you, you got to have it <laughs> to some degree, uh, especially in some states where you got to have a certain, you know, like Colorado only recognizes NRA, uh, at least for, non, for, for civilian uh, purposes, Colorado only recognizes NRA certified instructors to teach Colorado concealed carry courses, okay? So anyway... Um, Here's what I think is even the best metric to, and this is what I would say to you, Cameron, the best metric to choose or vet a good or legit instructor is ask if they don't put, post it somewhere else themselves, ask them what, uh, what other courses or other instructors they've trained under and when, like how often, how frequently, um, basically what you're looking for is an instructor that continues to try to improve themselves. Now, there are some legit instructors out there, and but these guys are far, they are the exception rather than the rule. I'm talking like Kyle Lamb, for instance. Like, he's probably not attending <laughs> a class from Rob Pincus or, <laughs> or, or Tom Givens or something, right? Like, and, and I don't think anybody would fault Kyle for that, okay? Um, and, and the same is true for a lot of those other guys, right? They, they have established themselves in, in, in the industry in such a way, and their stuff is so good um, that they've already earned their stripes in that regard. But for all the rest of us, myself included in this, um, I think a good instructor is one that continues to try to learn, okay? Even if they don't feel like they really need it, Okay, because I've attended classes where I'm like, well, I kind of probably already know what they're doing in that class, but that's not why I attend. It's I'm attending just to have that additional opportunity to self-evaluate, to be measured against a certain standard, and to make sure that I'm still improving. Like maybe I attended that class once before, but did I improve since the last time I attended that class? Okay. And it's about having somebody else that's observing you and that's paying attention to you, that's outside of you, because instructors a lot of times get egos. And the ego says, you know, this is this is their worldview of themselves as an instructor, and it's perfect as far as they can tell. And they're they're putting the blinders on to what's outside of them and and uh, and what other people are observing about them. So, to me, that's the the, the mark of a really good instructor is someone that continues to train themselves. Uh, I have a personal goal of 80, 80 hours per year of training that is for, for me, not as an instructor, but just for me. Um, and uh, most of the time I'm able to, to, to accomplish that each year. Sometimes I exceed it. Uh, this year, to be honest with you, just because of the way the schedule has worked out, I'm probably a little bit below that standard this year. And I'm, I'm disappointed in that because I haven't trained as much as I would like to. Uh, but I'll probably make up for it next year. So anyway, that's what I would say. I think that's the biggest factor right there. And the other thing is that we are going to be certifying uh, our own instructors to teach our triple guardian curriculum. And I think that's going to be a pretty legit, you know, as far as certifications go, yeah, that, that'll that be a good one. <laughs> Sorry, I got to make a shameless plug. <laughs> no, but in, in all honesty, so there's so many instructor courses you go to and you can basically expect to pass. 
because like they'll do kind of they'll do whatever they have to remedial or whatever to make sure that you that you're able to get through that. Um, I will say, and I've I've expressed this to uh, the students that are going to be attending our or the instructor candidates will be attending our course here later this month here in the Denver area that there is no guarantee they're going to pass because we have a standard and if they can't meet that standard, well, I'm sorry that you came all this way and you spent all this time and all this money, but we will have a high standard for that. All right. Okay. Last, last thing, because I, I, I teased this. And so we definitely got to talk about it. All right. So here's a message from Craig. He says, he just listened to the podcast tonight at work. And apparently in that episode, we were talking about Ikea. I remember that uh, vaguely. Uh, he said, first I'm licensed in Indiana to carry. I've heard you talk a couple times about articles saying licensed to carry and not anything about concealed. I know I kind of make fun of that because a lot of media reports on, well, the person had a license to carry. And I say, well, that's, you know, that, that sort of thing doesn't exist. Well, in a general sense, that's true. What he's saying here is that, um, that Indiana is a licensed to carry handgun state. That's what they call their permit, apparently. All right. It says nothing on this license about being concealed. And this is true of Texas, licensed to carry LTC permits, right? Um, and that you have to have that LT, LTC permit in Texas to carry openly or concealed, either or, okay? So I know that there are states where license to carry is a thing and that the media would not necessarily be incorrect about those situations. But the problem is, is I see the media report on license to carry, you know, stories all the time in states where that isn't exactly a thing, okay? In Colorado, you have a permit. It's a permit to carry a concealed handgun, okay? So, and that is the truth of most conceal, you know, most states that issue permits. All right. So that's the first piece, but here's the second thing. He said that he agrees the guy from, oh, this was the one, the guy that had his gun fall out of his pocket Mm -hmm. while he was sitting in the couch in Ikea and a young boy found it and discharged it within the store. The man went back because he realized, oh crap, I forgot my gun. And by the time he gets back or I forgot my gun, lost my gun. By the time he gets back, um, the, the incident had already occurred. Law enforcement's responded and, and it's discovered that it's his gun and he gets arrested. Okay. Um, do you have the same strong feelings about law enforcement when they lose their guns? I think I might've said something about if you can't be responsible enough to carry that gun, like in such a way that you don't lose it out of your pocket like that, that you probably shouldn't be carrying a gun. So his question here is, do you feel the same way about law enforcement that they have no business carrying? Just curious. All right. That's a fair, that's, that is a fair standard Okay, to ask me about. Um, <clears throat> and so let me offer my, my take on this. My take would be, if it was a law enforcement officer that lost his gun, um, not because it was taken away. For instance, a law enforcement officer, this has happened before. You know this, Matthew, where the dude goes in, he, he's got he's to do his business in, in, you know, in the restroom, right? <clears throat> and well, you can't do your business and number two, <laughs> to be specific, without taking your belt off, generally speaking. Uh, you know, a good quality law enforcement grade duty belt and all that stuff. Like, generally speaking, uh, I've seen some guys that are able to do some stuff. If it were me, uh, I, well, number one, I, I always tried to make sure I didn't have to do number two when I was on, on duty. <laughs> but sometimes you can avoid it. <clears throat> but sometimes the easiest thing to do is undo your belt keepers. That's the little loops that keep the outer belt connected to the inner belt. A lot of times they have Velcro tube, the inner belt and the outer belt and take the belt off. And I would try to like, just sort of like hold on my lap while I do my business. Okay. Um, but sometimes guys have hung them on the back of the door of the stall or put them on the toilet and then they leave their, you know, and sometimes just for a few minutes 
or whatever. And, and, or somehow they took the gun out of the holster while they were doing it. You know, this happens. The point is law enforcement officers that leave the gun or lose the gun and it's their problem, their fault. Yeah. I have a problem with that. I think, boy, they, they had to go back through some training or something because that's not cool. All right. Before they're allowed back on the street, carrying a gun. As far as if it got taken away from them in an altercation, that, that I wouldn't go so far as to say that, that, that that's a that that's on the same level as a dude that's irresponsible enough to let his gun fall out of his pocket. Okay, you see the difference? Because law enforcement officers are a target. Okay, and they are getting in altercations every day, and sometimes bad guys going to try to grab that gun out of their holster. All right. Now they're hopefully they have some level of training that is there to try to prevent that or stop that from occurring, and they're hopefully using also a proper retention holster, level two, level two, level three holster. Um, but I'm not going to criticize a, an LEO this at the same you know level as I am the dude that, including an off-duty cop. Like if this had been an off-duty cop that had his gun fall out of his pocket at the IKEA, I'd still be saying the same thing, dude. Uncalled for. You have an issue to work out before I I think you you should be able to carry a gun again. That that's my feeling about it. I'm not saying constitutionally that's. You know, I don't necessarily like. I think all people have the right to have a gun, um, uh, with a few ex- a few exceptions. But uh, I think from a responsibility standpoint, I think you should be self evaluating and going, mm, maybe I shouldn't carry, uh, you know, because I'm not responsible at this point yet. All right, that's that's my rant on the on the topic. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I I know firsthand because I, I I responded to a call where a kid found a gun in a in a school um, uh, stall bathroom stall during a like a it was a basketball game, and he fires it he fires the gun off and uh, turns out we we got there and turns out that we ran the gun and it came back to a uh, I believe it was uh, it was a an, another uh, department's officer and he happened to be a sergeant i believe either a corporal or sergeant um he was off duty went to see his kid play his sports was in the bathroom took his you know his uh his uh firearm off left it in the in the in the thing he ended up getting uh demoted and um he had days on the beach where he he didn't get paid and he mm. was you know yeah. he wasn't he wasn't paid he got demoted he had to go through uh additional training remedial firearms training yeah, yeah. remedial training and so you know i think that's I, all appropriate yeah, demotions sh- uh suspension et cetera et cetera yeah yeah i mean sh- should he have you know lost his post certification and his badge and his ability to carry a gun i don't think so i mean um you know Officers have negligent discharges as well, you know, and, and that's another thing kind of along the same lines. Um, I, I think when you're looking at a, a law enforcement officer uh, compared to a civilian, um, you know, there's more things that you can do to a law enforcement officer to ensure that they are, you know, re kind of getting that retraining as, as far as a civilian. The reason why I got so upset with that story and was like, he, you know, he shouldn't be caring is because there is no remediation to a civilian, right? You might send them through a concealed carry class again, but like an officer, they're going to get demoted They They lose pay. They lose rank. They, you know, they have to go through remedial training. So I think there's more kind of like uh, more ties and strings that you can put on that officer. So it is a good, is definitely a good question. And, and it's uh, it's interesting because we don't often think of it that way, but 
yeah, if you're if you're negligent or you're not responsible with your firearm, it doesn't really matter who you are. Um, it shouldn't happen, but yep. it does. Yep. Totally. All right. So hopefully that answers everybody's questions. And uh, uh, Craig, I, th- I hope that you find that acceptable. Okay. Um, so anyway, that's all I got to say about the issue. We managed to get through almost all of our questions today. A couple here still still waiting, and we'll save those for another time. All right. So uh, and that would be Patrick and uh, Joseph that that uh, have some. And then Cameron still had one question that I didn't get to because he asked three different questions in his one email. <laughs> so anyway, um, hopefully this, there was something valuable for you listeners out there today in, in the various topics and questions we addressed here today. Um, I know there was some good stuff for me. You know, if anything, I, I love... Th- this is what I love about the podcast, Matthew, is interacting with you or Jacob or whomever, where it gives you that opportunity to think about stuff, to, you know, kind of mental exercise, like, okay, I got to think, you know, about some of these things, these issues that come up, questions that are asked. And, and even if I already have figured these things out before, which most of the time, you know, we have, we have in some way, it's just a great opportunity to still think about it and, and do that mental exercise aspect of it. You know, that, that, that's, I've learned things through the podcast that because of the podcast, because we talked about it, because you see a different side, you see a different perspective, you hear from somebody with a different, you know, type of experience. And, uh, so it's, it's beneficial for me. Hopefully, I hope it's the same for you. And I especially hope it's that way for our listeners. Yeah. Without a doubt for me, I mean, exactly what you said, you, 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 there's so many different people with different circumstances and where they live and how they carry and where they work and what they do. And, uh, and it's, it's just good. And, and like I said earlier, I didn't know any of these questions and it, it's, it's kind of cool just to sit here and talk about it because, you know, we're, we're talking live, you know, real time and coming up with, with ideas. And then I'm looking at comments and it's like, yeah, that, that, that's a legitimate question and, and, and concern. And, and everybody has, uh, kind of like input that they can put in that helps the conversation. So um, that's why I'm always a, I'm always a proponent of like dialogue. Don't don't shut down dialogue, even if it's people that you don't agree with. Totally. You know? Yeah, I absolutely subscribe to that to that notion. <clears throat> uh, hopefully, that's the way. Uh, I think that's 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 how we should all try to be. You know, to to be respectful and open to dialogue and different ideas, and then critically think about them. And then decide whether it makes sense or not. Okay. You know, and that, like, that I think keeps us growing and learning and understanding as opposed to shutting down because we think we know everything already. Right. Well, thanks, folks, for listening today to today's episode. Um, we will be back next week. Next Tuesday, we will have an episode, our, our usual news episode for the week. We'll have some great news stories, I'm sure, to cover, some justified safe stories that are always uh, a favorite of listeners. And we'll be back, of course, with a Case of the Week from Andrew Branca, which is kind of the new favorite segment, it seems, from a lot of our listeners. Um, next week, we will actually be in Richmond, Virginia, as of Thursday, for several days, attending the NRA Carry Guard Expo. And uh, so some of you may be in the area, and if you are and you're listening to this, stop on by, regardless if, if you're there to see us or not. Either way, it should be a good show. And we hope that you'll stop by the show there in Richmond, the NRA Carry Guard Expo. Uh, admission is relatively cheap. I can't remember exactly all the details. I get media credentials, so I just show up and walk in. But uh, 
you know, I, I know like the NRA annual meetings, if you're an NRA member, I think you get into the show for free. Uh, NRA carry guard, I can't remember if that's also the case or if there's a minimal charge, but either way, it's going to be very reasonable. So come on by. If, if, you, if you show up, find us. We'll be walking around somewhere. Uh, we'll probably be doing a couple of interviews while we're there uh, for the, for the uh, podcast. Um, not exactly sure yet about the second episode of next week of how that's going to go together. Okay. So just a heads up that, that, you know, we might do that a day early on Wednesday or something and get it out a day early, or we might try to do something while we're there and get it published, uh, while we're in Virginia. So anyway, we hope to see you there. Come on by. Uh, we don't have a specific booth. We're going to be hanging around, but we'll be seeing a lot of the, the usual players. Uh, one cool thing that they'll have to show that they've been doing, um, you know, they did last year at the, at the carry guard expo in Milwaukee, is they'll have uh, the UTM, uh, uh, the guys from uh, UTM Worldwide. Uh, that's Tony Lambrea. He's been on the podcast before where they've got a kind of a shoot house type thing set up. And I think they'll also have a mobile range uh, uh, at the uh, show as well. So chances are we'll be kind of hanging around in that area because that's always fun to, to do and see and check out. And uh, yeah, anyway, so with that, uh, we're going to check on out of here. A reminder to everyone to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.